everyone. Welcome to More Than Fashion, the SNR podcast. I'm your host, Erica Capobianco. I'm the Student Communications Director of Maris Fashion's 35th Annual Silver Needle Runway. But trust me when I say we're so much more than just a fashion show. We understand that from an outsider's perspective, fashion is oftentimes seen as superficial. But with the help of some very special industry professional guests, we're delving into a whole new side of fashion you've never seen before. And we can't wait to share it with you. everyone. Welcome back to the More Than Fashion podcast. I am so, so excited for today's episode with Dr. Dawn Karen, who, if you're unfamiliar with her work, is a fashion psychologist and, in fact, is declared as the world's first fashion psychologist, according to the Times. But truthfully, as you'll see in this conversation, Dr. Karen is so much more than that. She's an educator. She's a thought leader, a globetrotter. She's the founder of her very own online institute, the Fashion Psychology Institute, and she's the author of Dress Your Best Life, How to Use Fashion Psychology to Take Your Look and Life to the Next Level. All of this and more is what makes today's podcast episode such an inspiring one. We get to talk about her theories that she's developed and pioneered surrounding colors and silhouettes of fashion and how they relate to human psychology. So again, I could not be more excited for today's episode. And without further ado, let's get into today's conversation. Dr. Don Karen, it is such an honor and privilege to have you join me today on the More Than Fashion podcast. Thank you for taking the time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. I'd love to kind of kick off our conversation with a fun little segment I like to call illusion versus reality. So I'm going to give you a generalization about fashion and its relation to psychology, and you're going to tell me if it's an illusion, so something false or not entirely true, or reality, meaning something that you find to be true or that you've personally experienced. So feel free to kind of elaborate, and with that said, are you ready to get started? Let's go right ahead. Awesome. So the first one is, there is no science behind the clothes we wear. Uh, True. Not true. (laughs) Um, And I can just tell you because, um, right, the fashion psychology field, it's all about, you know, why we wear what we wear, our emotions, our mood, and how that um, comes through our appearance. Absolutely. And we're definitely going to be breaking down some of those sciences in the conversation. So uh, the next is fashion psychology is a fairly new field of study. True. True, it is. Um, I, 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 I'm saying true, but there's a but. So there's it's true <laughs> to that, and and the but is um, that people have been talking about the psychology behind why we wear what we wear. However, they never, you know, uh, labeled it as a field. So mm-hmm. yeah, so I would say true. And I think that listeners will be really excited to hear that, you know, you've really been there at the beginning since this, you know, intersection of fashion and psychology in the modern day. So sort of Mm -hmm. breaking down that psychology, the next one I have for you is our wardrobes help to formulate our identity. Oh, this is true. This is true. Um, Yeah, the colors that we wear, the fabrics that we choose, it does help formulate our identity. Yeah, I find that to be super fascinating. And again kind of 
going off of that a little bit, we gravitate towards certain colors based on our mood. Yes, this is true. Um, I talk about this in my book, Dress Your Best Life and the chapter Colors and Context. So this is absolutely true. Awesome. And we'll definitely be talking a little bit more about your book later. But um, right now, I kind of love for you to give listeners a little bit more context about yourself and your career journey, because you've been in the fashion industry for, for quite some time when you moved to New York and you started modeling as a hobby while you were finishing your education. And then you just became, you know, this been attributed as this pioneer of the fashion psychology field. So can you kind of walk us through what inspired you to pursue this field and what it was like to create a career that essentially did not exist in the industry, merging fashion and psychology? Yeah. So I can uh, tell you that, um, Erica, that I, I, Obviously, attending the the Ivy League and Ivy League school, uh, such as Columbia University at that time, like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook, they were like, um, what, uh, at the time, President Barack Obama was in office. So I was seeing all of these, like, Ivy Leaguers doing some revolutionary things. And I'm like, okay, I have X amount of loans. <laughs> and it's like, let's, let's make this worth my while. Like, if I'm going to take out this amount, you know, this, an exorbitant amount of loans for my education to attend this Ivy League, because I got accepted to like 10 other schools that offered me scholarships. And when I attended undergrad at Bowling Green State University, I actually had a full ride. So, you know, I could have had my entire education paid for. Um, but I was like, this Ivy League, I really want to go. And obviously, I didn't get scholarships. So, um, I attended Teachers College, Columbia University. You know, like I said, I just wanted to do something revolutionary. Like I'm like, who? Why attend an Ivy League if you're just going to be mediocre? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I know it sounds pretentious, but it's true. I mean, that's what, that was my thought process. So I said I wanted to do something just different and just something revolutionary that could change the the minds of people, the hearts of people, that can just move the dial. And so I ended up. I'm like, fashion psychology. Um, I had a traumatic experience that occurred um, and it was actually a sexual assault and how I, I, re- I remember that I didn't feel like talkative or loquacious. Um, um, I felt like I just wanted to really express myself um, through my clothing and heal myself through my clothing. And I was like, there has to be other people like that are similar to this. I know that I had friends in the modeling industry ha- who had, um, who experienced sexual assault and you know, they like as a model, you're not you're not permitted to really talk. I mean, maybe today's modern model is, but you were just mm-hmm. a, a, a mannequin. Um, and so, but the you know, you're a human as well, and you have feelings. And so, I I was like, okay, you're you're taught to not show any affect, which is like emotions, but you're you you have to wear you know the, these clothes. And so I said, hey, I'm sure there are other people who are this you know the similar you know uh, the same way they cope with the same methods. And so, you know, voila, I was like, hey, I remember I was in sitting in class and I really don't talk about this, but I was sitting in class with someone who was the um, pioneer of the spiritual psychology field. I was also sitting in class with someone who was like a sex psychologist at the time. And so I was around these like, you know, pioneering women um, and men. And so it was just really inspiring. And um, I just decided, hey, why don't I create a field? Um, So, and lo and behold, now we're here. (laughs) (laughs) And that's, and that's so amazing. And I, and I know you kind of talk about, you know, how you created fashion psychology and how that 
really became your field and your and your TED talk with FIT. And, and you do talk about that you are a survivor of sexual assault. And kind of right after that experience, you went to class and you said that you wore one of your your favorite outfit that made you feel your most confident. So evidently you yourself kind of became your first client in in treating fashion psychology. So yeah. as the title of your TED talk implies, can you describe what it means to style someone from the inside out? Yeah. So, so I'll give you the formal definition. The formal definition of fashion psychology field is the study and treatment of how color, image, style, shape, and beauty affects human behavior while addressing cultural norms and cultural sensitivities. So uh, it's all about, you know, aligning your internal with your external, allowing, al- aligning your, your emotions to what you wear or your attitude with your attire. Um, so, you know, usually people wear a lot of masks, you know, when they're, they're wearing clothes, they're hiding themselves, parts of themselves. Um, they're not in touch with themselves. Uh, they're, they, you know, so we, we wear our clothes every day. We feel something every day. And so I'm just all about like creating that alignment, being true to yourself, being, having this level of authenticity. If you feel like crap, dress like crap. If you feel Mm -hmm. good, dress good. If you feel like crap and you want to dress good, dress good, but you're always present. You're always reflecting of how you feel as opposed to, you know, just throwing on something and then, you know, not being in touch with how you feel, um, except when you feel like raw emotions of like anger. A lot of people are not really aware of how they feel unless they are um, angry, right? Unless they just blow up at people. So it's, this is what it's really all about. That's, that's super fascinating. And I think, you know, I know you just gave us the, the formal definition of fashion psychology, but I think a lot of people, especially students who are kind of the target audience of this podcast would love to learn exactly, you know, if there were to be a, a job description for what it is you do, what does Dr. Dawn Karen do? What is her job description and what does being a fashion psychologist entail? Take your time. I know this is a very <laughs> heavy loaded and probably very complex question to answer. Yeah. yeah, Erica, what do I not do? I do every single little thing. Um, I do have my lovely interns to help me run this amazing show, but I do everything. <laughs> so let's see. Uh, so I'll wake up, I'll walk you through my week. Um, every day is different. Every day is different, which I love. I, I'm not a, someone who has to, I, I, I don't like routine. So every day is different. Um, today I'm talking to you. Tomorrow I could be lecturing, you know, so I'll walk you through today. Today, I had a conference call with a country, um, someone's government. They're getting ready to, they actually had sanctions with the U.S. and the sanctions have been dropped and they now want to launch their fashion industry and create a fashion university and be on the international stage alongside other countries, fashion industries and fashion universities. And so I was commissioned by a country's government to um, create their fashion industry as well as create their fashion university. So that actually was my morning. Then I actually had a client session. Um, Then client session with someone who suffers from eating disorder, an an eating disorder. Um, And then I talked with a girlfriend of mine just to kind of decompress. (laughs) And then now I'm talking with you. Um, later on, I have to teach at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology. So that's my day. But on average, 
um, oh, well, I'll tell you, it, right, right now what's going on, I've been commissioned by seven countries to create their fashion industry as well as their fashion university slash academy. Um, uh, I can any, appear uh, on television at any point. So I have to be ready. I have to be like camera ready at any, at any point. Um, before pre-pandemic, it was, um, I had to be ready. Like if they called me, maybe I had, you know, to get in the car and like head to the studio. Now, you know, I set up in my, um, my apartment, set up my, you know, my background and everything. Um, so I have to be camera ready, hair ready, everything, do everything myself. So TV. Um, also, I didn't mention, but today I also had a media interview out of London. So I had the conference call with the country in Africa, uh, Seashells. That's the name of the country. Then I had a media interview out of London. Then I talk with, uh, I spoke with the clients. Now I'm talking with you. Then I teach at FIT. So I'm pretty much all over the place at any given moment. I also just received an email about a country in Europe. And working alongside them as their fashion psychologists and, you know, promoting their brands and whatnot. So in order to do my job, if I had a job description, you have to be culturally, internationally savvy. You have to know some type of international relations. You have to know what's going on in the world. So I can't just give commentary. Today, they asked me to do commentary on the Oscars and the Met Gala, the fact that they're opening up the red carpet. So I have to know something about the award shows, but then also... If I'm commenting on a in a like out of out of London, I have to know what's going on. Right now, what's hot? What's the hot ticket is Meghan and Harry. So, like each place that I'm either I'm having a conference call with T shows, I have to know what's going on with that country's government or what's going on. Are they have war in that country? What's the demographics of that country? So, each person I'm talking to, I have to know, you know, what's going on in their area what the demographics look like. Um, if, if I'm talking, I was talking with the client who had the eating disorder. She's actually Indian, by the way. And so I have to know about how that culture thinks of eating disorders. How do they think of body image? So you have to know, like I said, international relations. You have to know um, something about culture, uh, that person, you know, society. So you have to know. So this is why I told you in that long de definition um, cultural norms and culture, addressing cultural norms and cultural sensitivities, because a lot of times when people think of fashion, they, they're, it's more so the only time they mention culture is when they're appropriate, culture appropriation, like when they're being colonizers, when they're taking someone's, uh, culture and then they're renaming it. Like that's the only time they mention culture. So, you know, um, and then I said, it, uh, I will tell you, I, I just published a book. It's been a year. No, I didn't just publish it. Today's my book birthday. So, or this week is my book birthday. So happy book birthday to me. <laughs> and um, so I'm super excited about that. But I, with, with that being said, um, I have to do conferences about my book. You know, I have mm -hmm. to pro promote my book constantly. And then this weekend, I actually have students in Russia who are attending my Fashion Psychology Institute. So that's a lot. That is a lot. That is a lot, a lot, a lot. So I do a lot. And so it's very important for me, especially working in, within my home, to make sure that I have everything looking together. Like I have a, a fandelier, a chandelier slash fandelier. Everything looks glitz and glam in here because I you know, have to create an aesthetic. Um, I have to make sure that I take care of myself, go to spas, get my nails done, get my hair done. I do do that because I don't have time. So 
Um, that is my life. That is my life. <laughs> and that is a lot. So I don't know it if that is. Really describes it, but that's what I do. <laughs> no, and it's it's perfect. And I think that we're definitely, I definitely want to talk more about travel and talking about, you know, the teaching aspect, but I'm I'm really interested to learn about, you know, your consulting services and working with clients. And I know you talked about the client that you were working with earlier today uh, with the eating disorder. And I know that you also offer it for businesses. And I'd love to kind of hear what are some examples, you know, just in general, how how those uh, consulting sessions differ from an individual session. Right. So the individual sessions are, think your traditional talk therapy. Um, be, I, obviously, I'm trained at Columbia to be a therapist, so I'm certified. And so think your traditional therapy, but then I'm actually drawing a synthesis between what you're telling me and how you're presenting yourself, you know, and how uh, we're getting to the root of, you know, your particular issue. And, and and then I'm relating that to how you present yourself. And perhaps maybe we're working through the issues, maybe someone's stuck, and then we're moving through. Now, when it comes to businesses, um, and con- consultation, I can tell you one of my clients were, was PayPal. Um, and uh, I had that client, and I also had Honey as a client. Uh, well, PayPal actually owns Honey. So PayPal and Honey, they're basically the same thing. And so essentially, uh, I had to talk about the science behind shopping. Um, in my book, Dress Your Best Life, um, chapter three, it's, it's the science behind shopping. So I had to talk about uh, the pandemic and why people are buying things now when they don't know when these draconian measures are going to be lifted, you know, when we're going to be able to go outside freely. Um, we can go outside, but like free, you know, whatever. Um, so I had to consult on that. Um, and that, that was fun. That was fun. And with that, I also had to, so I was like the talking head, the spokesperson, like the professor that gave the, the science behind shopping. But then I also doubled as the influencer. So the, this goes into my modeling and I had to actually post, cur- curate posts about why people should use honey so kind of like an endorsement and mm-hmm. i had to take photos of myself so think influencer slash spokesperson um they you kind of get that all in one as opposed to them hiring a professor like a scientist or a doctor to do the research and then hiring a model or an influencer mm. to promote so they actually got all in one so that's what i do uh when it comes to business consulting as well as the individual consulting. That's amazing. And it's, it's so interesting to kind of see again, not just the intersection of fashion psychology, but also other, you know, you, you mentioned modeling, but also the influencer space. Um, I think that that's, that's super, super fascinating. So kind of continuing with your story in, in fairly the beginning of your career, you spent a lot of time traveling. And I think in your TED talk, you say that you traveled to 25 countries. So I'm sure, I'm sure listeners, especially eager to travel during this time, would love to kind of know how that experience was for you and how exactly, again, we talked about this a little bit with your client being in India, being exposed to different cultures, change your perceptions about fashion and psychology and perhaps influence some of your theories as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so this client is actually uh, located in the U.S., but like I said, she has uh, she's of Indian descent, and so I've traveled to different um, countries, um, particularly the middle. The Middle East was just pivotal because 
um, their fashion is totally antithetical to ours with them being able to cover. So, you know, I didn't want to go over there with my Western ideology and actually try to project my Western views of fashion onto them. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, and, and maybe I didn't have the power uh, directly to, you know, project, but maybe indirectly because I'm showing up in like scantily clad clothing. And so it was very much when I was immersed in that culture, it was very much important for me to, you know, dress modestly. Um, to adopt their fashions and actually uh, feel it. I remember I wore something, not spaghetti strap, but sleeveless. And it, but it was a long dress that came down to my ankles. And I remember when I was in the grocery store, I got some looks. So even just showing a shoulder was problematic. Um, so I, I, I traveled to parts of Asia. So I, I, was, I was very fast, very much fascinated by, I would say, Muslim attire or uh, when people wear wraps or hijabs, um, just as a woman, I'm considered a free woman. Um, so very much like, is this about freedom? If I'm covered, does that mean I lack freedom? You know, if, that, if I'm covered, does that mean that I lack fashion? I, I, and actually, believe it or not, my clients out there, they had millions of Hermes bags, millions of, you know, Christian Louboutins, like head to toe, you know, I mean, they wore more labels than I even, I don't even wear that much labels on an everyday basis. So um, it, it was just very fascinating. I think it was just totally antithetical to the West. I do know that when I came back to the, to the U.S., I, I do know that I felt kind of uncomfortable wearing scantily clad clothing, um, if you will. So, so my travels, I will be traveling um, um, this year, despite it being a pandemic, I will be traveling to certain countries. I'm, I'm sure I have to get vaccinated to go, but um, I will be traveling. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I can actually tell you, I'll tell you, and you'll hear it here first. You're the first <laughs> person to get this podcast wise, that the countries that I've been commissioned to, you know, help with their fashion, create their fashion industries and or create fashion universities slash academies. They're all in East Africa and Central Africa. Um, so think um, now when we think of fashion, Erica, we think Paris, London, mm -hmm. Milan, you know, New York, maybe you think Dubai now, maybe depending on you are, where you are, you may think Moscow, you may think Tokyo, but I want it to be, you think Kigali and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and Rwanda, or you think Cape Town in South Africa, or you think Khartoum in Sudan. So like, you know, when we talk fashion, I want it to be right now. I think we talk, if we talk West Africa, we may talk uh, Lagos, Nigeria or Accra, Ghana, but we don't really talk about, you know, countries such as Ethiopia, Sudan, Uganda, Rwanda, Bur Burundi, seashells. We do talk South Africa, but I'm, but, you know, so I want it to be where, and so I have to travel to these places just like I did before. Mm -hmm. Um, to the Middle East and to Asia. So I have to travel to the continent of Africa to actually immerse myself in their culture. So I, again, can formulate these theories. And so, and if you know anything about the continent of Africa, everyone that's listened to your podcast, everyone, every, we, we, we in the West, we say Africa as if it's a country, but it's not, it's a continent and it has 54 countries within it. So each country has their own fashion their own fashion history. So I have to, and it's beyond the Christian Louboutins, Hermes, Prada, that, that's all um, uh, the West, you know, the West. But what about the fashion in there? So I'm actually 
I've actually been commissioned and we've been talking actually today of me traveling there to to get on the ground and mm-hmm. actually immerse myself. Um, within those cultures and the in the fashion, so so my work entails a lot, um, and and I, I think you know while I teach at the Fashion Psychology Institute and at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology, you know I teach my students. I say to be woke, you know, you have to have a degree of you can't be you know um, this euro in this Eurocentric mm-hmm. bubble, you know, w- w- I, um, with with all this the racial tension that we have mm-hmm. and the lack of diversity, you know, um, ableism versus being disabled, you know, we have to, we're on social media, we have to be, you know, um, inclusive. So, so I'm very much about that. And, and that's what my traveling is all about, just to sort of be on the ground to do that, that uh, qualitative research, you know, interviewing people to kind of figure out what's going on what's the psychology behind their fashion so I'm really excited um like I said to uh learn about the different countries in Africa Central Africa and East Africa and and broadcast it to the world because they're just as fashionable as we are you know absolutely and I think that's so incredible I feel as though learning and traveling really go hand in hand uh, last mm-hmm. fall or the fall before that when I was traveling abroad I had the opportunity with Maris Fashion to go to Morocco and stay there for a mm. week and work with a lot of or learn from a lot of manufacturers and artisans. And <laughs> I can I can totally relate to your ex- experience when you were talking about the exposed shoulders because they they very much told us, you know, like there's many things that we just kind of take for granted in, in our own wardrobes that is not acceptable in that culture. Mm. And I think that it definitely, and I was only there for a week, but I, I, I always treasure that experience. And I hope that once, once I can get back to traveling that I can, I can go more places and, and learn more about the fashion there, because it's just, I think it's, it's so important, no matter what industry in, in fashion you're looking to see it's, it's again, it's, it's not just Europe. It's, it's the entire world that, you know, fashion is universal and, and learning about that. So I think, you know, again, in, on top of your, your client's work and your speaking work, and obviously you're traveling, uh, you became the youngest professor at the Fashion Institute of Technology. And I know we keep talking about it a little bit, but I'd love to kind of hear as well about how in 2015, you founded your own online institute, uh, the Fashion Psychology Institute. So can you kind of talk about what your motivation was to launch this unique program and why educating people around the world, not just, you know, limited to the the fashion institute technology was something that you really wanted to pursue? Well, yeah. So I can tell you that um, being the youngest, one of, at the time I was the youngest, I'm probably one of the youngest now. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working there for six years. Um, it wasn't something that I knew I, I thought people, I thought there were people there that were my age. Um, so I didn't, it wasn't something that I planned. Um, it just so happened. Um, and I'm also the first black female psychology yes. professor. Yes. Um, you would think that uh, at a, a place, a melting pot, a me- melting mm-hmm. pot that we live in, uh, you know, where we're located in New York City, that you're like, what? You're the first black <laughs> or you're the youngest, you know, all these isms or these first, well, how is this possible? Well, you know, um, you know, when institutions only employ certain persons, you know, um, it, 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 that it happens that way. So now that we're all pushing, uh, these diversity initiatives, you know, um, everyone turned there, what is it there? They put a black, um, post for their, um, during, you know, 
during the pandemic and Black Lives Matter, you know, we can actually overcome these hurdles. So yes, I'm the first Black, I am the first Black female psychology professor. I am the one of, one. now I'm one of the youngest. And so it was very important for me to work at FIT to just establish my credibility, you know, just pioneering a field. Uh, I, I had Columbia, um, the education, which gave me the credibility in Ivy League, but I, I'm like, I need to teach. I need to teach. And as a teacher, although I am a teacher, I'm an expert, that that discourse that I'm, I'm creating with my students, we're going back and forth. I actually learn from them. So I'm, I, I, I'm not a person that's like on a high horse where I'm like, oh, I know it all. And you all need to listen to me. Believe it or not, I'm like, no, this is a Q&A. This is talk, talk back. You know, this is talk and response. You can you, if I'm lecturing and you're like, hey, I like that, you can respond, you know, kind of like if you're in church, I don't know if you've ever seen a black church or even on television, they do this, this talk and response thing really well. So that's how I run my classes. And um, I learned from them. So I, I feel that I'm not a, a teacher without my students and my students are not, a you know, can't, they're not students without me. So it's a, it's a, uh, a symbiotic relationship, if you will. So that, that was very important. And then you mentioned uh, FPI or Fashion Psychology Institute. I, I, there were certain students that wanted to be taught by me that couldn't have the opportunity of going to FIT, whether they didn't get in or they live in another country. And so I still wanted to afford them the opportunity, you know. And five years ago, right now they have all these online schools. Everyone switched over due to the pandemic. But five years ago, this wasn't a thing. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to create my own institution, which was basically unheard of as a woman of color, as a black woman. I was like traveling abroad and people were like, oh, you got your own institute? Like, uh, yeah, I didn't think it was a big deal for me because I'm like, oh, I'm just teaching online. And this is before Coursera, this is before uh, Teachable, this is before all those platforms. Um, so I actually created my own uh, portal, my own platform, I created, you know, and so I, I have students from Lebanon, Russia, Israel, the UK, Louisiana, a lot, Japan, like a lot of places. So it was very much important for me to um, just to, you know, the, the fashion psychology field, just not to limit it to a university, but to, you know, to broadcast it. And the fact that I launched it in 2015, so the fact that we had that opportunity, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, I wouldn't be able to do this, you know, but the fact that I have it. Um, so it is the first ever online school. All other people, I will repeat this on the podcast. This is the first time I'm ever, ever saying it. All of the persons who say, oh, I'm teaching fashion psychology at my university. This is cultural appropriation. <laughs> this is intellectual theft. <laughs> so, but I mean, I'm usually I'm flattered. There's nothing really you can do about it. I'm just flattered that people... <laughs> are inspired by me, you know. Um, but yeah, so so that's a that's pretty much how I started FPI and began working at FIT. That's so that's so so wonderful to hear. And I'd love to talk more about some of your theories. So one of your theories, the repetitious wardrobe complex, uh, describes how someone who wears the same outfit habitually will have a consistent mood that doesn't fluctuate. So you've proven that it can increase your productivity level. So have you have, how have you, how did you find this theory when, you know, you were sort of de developing it? I'd love to kind of hear more about that. Yeah, actually, you're the first person to uh, ask that um, about repetitious wardrobe complex. Let's just call it RWSC because it's too, too wordy. Um, <laughs> uh, I should have thought about that when I created it. But so I created all of these, um, 
when I was over in Kuwait, when I was between Kuwait and Dubai, I was living out there. Um, like I, it was like anywhere from nine months to a year I was out there. And so I was thinking like the Mark Zuckerbergs at that time, Steve Jobs. And I'm like, you know, and then there are certain days like myself, um, currently while I'm uh, recording this podcast, I wore this same, I'm wearing a, everyone, I'm wearing a comfy black sweater dress. And I wore this same sweater dress yesterday. <laughs> so, and I have no qualms with saying it, uh, simply because it increased my productivity. It was one less decision I had to make today. Being that I ran through my day with you at the top of this podcast, uh, this episode, I have an extensive day. So the last thing I need to be concerned about is what is Dr. Don Karen going to put on her body? Um, and so I, it's black, it's neutral, it's comfy. Um, cause if I'm, I'm sitting at home all day in the same spot, so I need something that's going to be warm and fuzzy and just, you know, kind of cradle me. Right. I'm not actually, uh, interacting with people in person. So I kind of need that kind of companionship. And so the sweater kind of offers me that. So repetitious wardrobe complex, like I said, I created it when I was in the Middle East. And, and, and it was, you, like I said, you're the first person to ask this. And I can actually tell you that being in the Middle East and the women are covered, they were wearing all black, like black hijabs, black habayas. And I'm like, it looks like they're wearing the same thing every day. But all in all, they're not because underneath they're changing their outfits, obviously, but mm -hmm. pretty much they're wearing the same thing every day. And so I said, what if, what if, what is that? What, what is that? How does that help? You know, how is that? And so I just began to think of like the Mark Zuckerbergs and people who wear the same kind of uniforms every day and how that could assist, um, how that creates uh, collectivistic cultures. So no, if, if you see, if you go to the Middle East and you see women in habayas and they're black and hijabs they it looks like they're all blending in so i was thinking like no one's really being an individual it's not like every man for themselves you can tell it's all about community all about family orientation and so i was like hmm so that's pretty much how the theory came about as i said you're the first person to ask me that <laughs> no and i i think that's very interesting and when you were kind of talking about you know like hey i i wore this yesterday um i think that there's a there's a lot to be said especially it's really interesting you know as we're kind of transitioning out of you know, uh, pre-pandemic, during the pandemic and post-pandemic life. So that's something I definitely, I definitely want to try because I think it's very fascinating. But the last question I'd love to ask you, again, we, we keep dancing around the topic of your book, uh, Dress Your Best Life, which is your, your book anniversary this week. So can, again, congratulations to you. Um, you. So your, your book for those uh, who may be unfamiliar kind of discusses how you can harness the the power in our wardrobes and uh, how to kind of, you know, level up our lives. So what would you kind of say would be some of the most or the most important takeaway that you'd like to share with our listeners from the book? Okay. Uh, the most important takeaway is uh, knowing colors and context. Uh, the chapter is called Color and Context. So knowing um what colors mean to you and what they mean in general the psychology behind them and how to use them to harness power if you will and harness that and create that confidence maybe that you're lacking also i would say uh maybe the second most important or maybe it's maybe they're neck and neck um your woke wardrobe and that's mm -hmm. the last chapter and it talks about cultural appropriation and you know, and whatnot, and just being woke, like just having this, you know, you were talking about, you know, leveling up. And I think a part of leveling up is like being diverse, like mm -hmm. knowing about 
things outside of you, you know? So I think those are the two like main like takeaways, like your work wardrobe, colors and context. I mean, the whole book, I mean, I, I've been working on this book forever. Like since the um, onset of creating fashion psychology, I've been working on this book. Um, I would say it took me about 10 years to write it. Um, well, well, maybe, let me say eight, maybe eight, mm-hmm. eight years to write it. Um, it's available and uh, I, I got two, I'm signed to two uh, publishing two publishing companies, which is equivalent mm-hmm. to having two record deals, if you know music. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, have I gone number one? No, that's New York Times. But, you know, eventually I'm speaking into existence on this episode. I would mm-hmm. like to be a New York Times bestselling author. It's available in uh, four languages, Russian, Spanish, uh, Czech, and English. And wow. so um, it, which with, with each language, there's a, a different book cover. So in the U.S., you'll see my face. You'll see, you'll see me. Um, in the U.K., that's a different, co- a different cover. Also, to tell you, in the U.K., that subtitle was different. Mm. So that subtitle talks about harnessing the power of clothing. So it sounds a little bit more esoteric, metaphysic. If you're into metaphysics and crystals and stuff. That title kind of probably ring to your personality. Um, and then the U.S. version, less esoteric, um, is, is that subtitle is talking about like um, fashion psychology, right? So pretty much the takeaways. Um, I'm, I'm really in love with my book. I'm actually studying Russian. I'm studying Czech. I'm studying, I, I know Spanish. And so hopefully it'll be inv- uh, available in other languages. So I'm, I'm really excited. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I, I sometimes I'm, I have to pinch myself that this is happening. Maybe it, it doesn't feel real to me because we're in a pandemic. And so I haven't got a chance to actually experience like a book signing and like people lined up at Barnes and Nobles. So it feels very uh, unreal. But uh, it is my book anniversary, so I'm really, really proud of it. And um, it's just basically think of the book as like a textbook, a pop culture, like Mm -hmm. a textbook. I I didn't want to do the traditional textbook because my students don't really like textbooks. So I wanted to do something fun in my voice. And so, so yes, I'm really, really proud of it. That's, that's incredible. And again, I just think that our, the students listening to this podcast are just going to have so many amazing takeaways. I think that you have so much to offer and you're, you're such an inspiration. So this was, this was amazing. Uh, before you go, can you let our audience know where they can connect with you on social media, where they can learn more about your book and where they can learn more about the Fashion Psychology Institute? Yes. So I'm on all platforms. I am on TikTok. I don't post there as much, but I am on TikTok. I am on Snap. I am on Instagram. I am on Facebook. I am on Twitter. I am on LinkedIn. Uh, the, mo- the the ones that I use the most, I u- utilize Instagram the most. So you can follow me. It's dr.dawnkaren, D-A-W-N-N-K-A-R-E-N. So do follow me on Instagram because that's my favorite one. Um, and then my book, you can get my book on all platforms, Barnes and Nobles. Um, it's on Apple. It's in uh, Audible. It's Amazon. You can get it everywhere. Um, and Fashion Psychology Institute, if you visit fashionpsychologyinstitute.com, um, you can take some short certification, short certification courses. And if you just like this episode and you're like, hey, I'm inspired, feel free to write me. Uh, during the pandemic, I love to read uh, fan mail um, just to kind of keep my, my spirits up, you know. Um, so, yeah. 
<laughs> Absolutely. That all sounds great. And I'm determined that we get you on New York Times bestseller list. I feel like I feel like we can do that. I feel like that's yeah. definitely possible. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Karen. This was this was amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I look forward to being back again. Thank you so much for listening to More Than Fashion, the SNR podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review and follow at Silver Needle Runway on all platforms for all More Than Fashion podcast updates. Talk to you all soon.